Hi, Gigi. Hello, Steffi. Welcome to episode two of Wholehearted Loving. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today, but first, as usual, we're going to go into a body practice. Yes. So again, let's feel your butt on the seat, or maybe it's your feet on the floor. Just choose an anchoring part of your body you want to connect to. And give yourself a moment to notice your breath. I actually noticed that I like sat back in my seat just to really feel my butt. And let's connect to an inhale and an exhale. And just for the purpose of this practice, we're going to inhale through the nose. Exhale through the mouth. And on this next inhale, we're going to bring our shoulders up to our ears. So inhale through your nose, bring your shoulders up to your ears. Exhale through the mouth and roll your shoulders back first and then down. And we'll do that two more times at your own pace. Inhale through the nose, bring your shoulders up to your ears. Exhale out of the mouth, roll your shoulders back and then down. And then just follow your body's impulse for any other kind of movement that you need. And have a little notice. Steffi, I'm going to ask you what you notice. What do you notice is how how your body's feeling right now. If you were to compare between, you know, 30 seconds ago, a minute ago, before this intentional connection to your body movement and breath and to feel how you're feeling now, what do you notice? I feel more centered still. Right. And, you know, when you listen to us, you're going to hear I think me especially say the words, what do you notice? Mm -hmm. And the question, what do you notice is so powerful because in order for us to change any of our patterns, in order for us to, um, you know, we get asked a lot about how to set healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I always like to share that to set a healthy boundary, that's actually the byproduct of knowing what you like, how you feel and what you need, right? When you're, when you know how you feel and what you need right there, you've got a boundary, you've got a request, but in order to do that, you have to be able to notice how you're feeling, notice what's going on for you, notice what you need, notice what you're, you don't have. Right. And so you're going to hear me say that a lot. <laughs> what do you notice? because I want to help you practice growing that muscle, that ability to bring awareness to what's going on in your body, what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your surroundings that you're picking up. Yeah. We're so good at locking all that stuff down. The other day when we sat down to record, I knew I was feeling a bit irritated. Like I can recognize that now at least and not lash out at people. Whereas before mm -hmm. I might've just been, unpleasant and big energy right and i just kind of knew and was coping with it and we weren't feeling the energy we wanted and we know that 
means something needs to move, mm -hmm. right? So you suggested some movement practice. And, you know, I was aware of my irritation and then I just burst into tears. And there was so much in there that just needed to come out. Stuff I'd been holding that wasn't necessarily big. It wasn't necessarily small, but it was just there and irritating and moving it. Uh, it's really powerful. Yeah, it was really like beautiful to see because I think old me would have felt like I had to fix it for you and problem solve it and or like make you feel better, you know, or help you understand that it things are okay. And through practicing all of these little practices over the years, I could just be with you and witness you and see that you were having a hard time and also trust that you would move through it and trust that if you needed anything from me, you would ask me. And it was really nice to just sit with you when you were having a hard time and be there. Yeah. So nice. And so nice to be able to trust like state changing. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's something I would have just wanted to be unhappy before. Not, not that I wanted to be, but I didn't know how to let it, let a thing go to let a mm -hmm. thing move through, you know? Yeah. And I, th I feel like I get asked that a lot. How do I let something go? Mm. I feel like that's a whole other podcast <laughs> episode, but one of the things is we, you know, we can't let go of something we haven't accepted. Yeah. Right. And so that's one thing. But another thing, when I heard you say that about letting go is if we focus on, I need to let that go, it typically stresses us out even more. Yeah. And so instead of focusing on what we want to let go of, I like to practice, like, what else could I bring my attention to right now? Mm. What could I practice shifting my focus to? Even if it's momentarily right now, I'm looking at a stuffed whale on my desk. <laughs> it's acting as the buffer for the sound podcasty sound things <laughs> and I'm using my kids stuffies, but my ability to like shift my focus to the stuffy gives me a reprieve from other things that might be going on in my mind or my body so that I'm not all consumed by one thing that's going on, one experience, one sensation. And it's been a huge life changer for me growing that yeah. muscle. Yeah. You know, I think that's, you've got such a blessing with your kids and your family too, of, um, time and energy is needed. Your time and energy is needed. Um, mine, not so much. So you've got these need to get on board with the moment things that you have to implement these little yeah. practices and stay present, you know, for somebody who can be swept away in drama more than family, yeah. Uh, you don't need to make that time. And so I can remember that feeling of someone, I wanting to involve someone in my pain, not that I wanted them to be in pain, but let's talk about it like forever. Like, let's just continue <laughs> mulling this over forever, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but taking that pause and giving your nervous system a break is yeah. so important. And I can remember, like, I can still feel the part of me that would be annoyed hearing you say that and be like, <laughs> but that's not like, we need to mull the thing over. We need to ruminate about this. We don't need a break. We need to fix the problem. Yeah. Um, and that pause is so much part of the solution. Yeah. And I say that to people like we don't have, to, if you are 
if your comfort is to go straight back into figuring it out and problem solving, let's go straight back there. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, can we bring a, just a moment of pause and see that we don't actually die? And we also practice being with some of that discomfort. And then we go back to our old coping that feels comfortable. And we trust that the more we add in those little moments of just pausing it, just interrupting our old pattern, that starts to grow enough space that, again, we talked about it last episode of being able to have a pause to make the next intentional choice. Right. So, yeah. And also in a pause your subconscious is operating. You know, we've got all of our problem solving mechanisms really tuned in. We just like to think about them all the time. So they're operating in the background and we don't actually have to be thinking about that stuff all the time. Solutions arise in these pauses. When you pause, you make space for spirit, you know? Which in the past, I would have been like, you're nuts. I don't know what you're talking about because yeah problems only get solved if you think about them really hard <laughs> over and over and over again. Yeah. And you know, what you said was sometimes we find connection in commiserating mm -hmm. and that might be the only sort of familiar way of connecting we have. Yeah. Right. And definitely I, I know what that feels like and it feels good to know that I have the option now. If I really want to rant and vent with someone and have someone really like be on my side, mm -hmm. I can have a moment of that. But I know now I don't want to live in that because that doesn't actually feel very good. Yeah. It's nice to be able to put that in a nice cozy box together with like-minded people. You know, can I just have a rant for a minute? And it really is a, a big energy. It fills up all the space. There is no pause in a rant. The energy is frantic, you know? Yeah. And there's, I think, a, a, a gift in a rant too, because a lot of us were also conditioned to hide the tantrum. We mm. had the tantrum shut down when we were little, right? So we're holding all this frustrated, hurt, angry energy inside. It's actually therapeutic, I think, in a contained way right? To mm. be able to express and just let it out yeah. and then also be able to shift gears. Yeah. It's also hilarious to really <laughs> unleash. It's so funny. We say the craziest things. We think the craziest things or we, the craziest thoughts pass through our minds and uh, they can be very entertaining when you just let them go through and watch them as a curious observer instead of holding so many self-judgments and fears so tightly. This reminds me of how much we can learn from young children. Because mm -hmm. young children are born like fully expressive, the whole spectrum of emotion, and um, like loudly expressive, right? And there's no filter. And uh, I remember my oldest when he was probably two and a half a bit, when he, two and a half, three, had, you know, our youngest was just born and he would say things like about his younger brother and about other little kids. Like, I just want to saw him in half. <laughs> I want the garbage truck to drive over him. And for a while I was concerned. I was like, wow, like we're not a violent family. I'm not sure where he's getting this from. We don't watch anything where he would get that from. A magic trick sawing a lady in half. <laughs> But what I realized was this is just his frustration and his fear mm -hmm. 
trying to be expressed in whatever language he had at the time. And so I'd sit with him and I'd ask him, I'm like, are you worried that that little guy's going to steal your toy? And then he'd nod his head and the tears would start coming. I was like, oh, bud, (laughs) you know, come sit. Let's, let's just be with this for a moment. Like you, yeah. But if I would have followed conventional mainstream parenting, I mean, luckily it's starting to shift now. I'm seeing, I probably would have lost it on my child that he was being so rude and violent and unkind with his words. When really it was just him having a hard time saying the wildest things because he had freedom of expression. And it's been a gift to learn not to take the words literally, but to bring some compassionate curiosity to what is underneath those words for this little guy right now. Like, how is he feeling? What is he needing? What's going on that's causing him to express in that way? It was a treat for sure. Beautiful. That's amazing. And that makes me think about how we, without the beautiful Georgiana mom intervention, how we can take that kind of thing into adulthood. And maybe we change the language to more socially acceptable language. It's usually more psychologically damaging. It wouldn't be, I want to saw you in half. It might be (laughs) something more intense, you know, and that anger doesn't get um, transmuted. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such so, a good mom. I try. Yeah, you do. Some moments I really fail mm. and I try. <laughs> we want to talk about uh, who we have been and who we're becoming. Yeah. It's one of my favorite questions. Who was I? Mm. Who am I? Mm. Who am I becoming? Mm-hmm. And this this series of questions means so much to me, which I think through chatting together, it'll become clear why it means so much to me. But I, if it's okay with you, Steph, I want to start with a little story about why this is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And we're going to bring it back again to conscious relationship training. I remember on week 12 of my first round, we were sitting outside at the beach I don't remember exactly what led up to it, but our, our teacher, our mentor, Phil, he gave me the hot seat (laughs) and he said, well, well, who are you? Tell us who you are. It sounds like a simple question. (laughs) (laughs) And I just sat there and I was like, um, I don't know. I'm Georgiana. I'm a mom. I'm a nice person. <laughs> like I I'm a, you know, a parent counselor. Beyond that, I didn't know what like what to say, and it sort of startled me. Like I didn't expect to be so jarred by such a seemingly simple question. Mm-hmm. And me being who I am, I I left that night <laughs> and I just sat with that question. Who am I? And in the years since, it's been that discovery of who I am. And it's beautiful when I put it in conjunction with 
who was I, who I am today, and who am I becoming? Who am I open to becoming? What are the possibilities for me? And so that was my little story about not having a clue who I was when I was 37 years old. Mm. Do you feel like you have a succinct way of describing who you're becoming, who you are, who you were? Who I was? I mean, I was so many things, but, you know, I think I'll, I'll, maybe I'll pull out a few. Who I was was someone like deeply stuck by this belief that I had to be perfect and do everything perfectly. Like no mistakes can be made, which also meant that I was someone who didn't take risks. I excelled and I achieved a lot. I accomplished a lot, but I always knew to set the bar lower (laughs) than what it could be because I was always praised for succeeding. And I was always deeply criticized for making any mistakes. When I got an A, A, my parents were like, why didn't you get an A plus? Like it just never felt like it was enough no matter what I did. And so I was someone who was terrified of making mistakes, someone who chose, I don't even want to say chose dreams that were smaller. I didn't choose dreams because I was too afraid to fail and disappoint myself, disappoint my parents. So that's one bit in, in that realm, who I am today, who I am today is someone who laughs off my mistakes a lot more easily. Um, I don't actually really even view them all as mistakes. They're just like, ah, well that happened. And this sounds maybe like, not like a big deal, but for me, that is a huge, huge deal. Mm. And yeah, so that's who I am today. Who I'm becoming, who I want to be is someone who can can stay connected to my dream, right? Stay connected to the big things that I was always too afraid to work towards, dream of, because I was afraid to make mistakes and look bad, whatever what looking bad means. So that's who I'm becoming in that realm. And I want to share a little story about how, how this showed up in my life, this need to be perfect, can't make mistakes. Um, I also came, I have a background of being a tax consultant, working in the corporate world. So mistakes are not highly tolerated in that realm either. So that didn't help. But I remember, I remember years ago um, when the rising woman had just sort of began its Instagram presence and uh, I would be looking at a post and I would notice a typo (laughs) like in the main, whatever main post. And I would message Shalina, like sort of panicked, like, Oh, like, I love your posts, but just so you know, like there's a typo here. And um, I don't think you could actually change I don't think you still can edit posts in that way on Instagram, yes, you can. but she was just so chill. She's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and I didn't understand it <laughs> because I'm like, how can you have this 
out there in the world and there's this glaring mistake there mm -hmm. what will people think mm -hmm. right and i also remember to register her response her response was like oh okay hmm. no big deal she wasn't gonna fix it change it take it down nothing she's gonna leave it there and i decided i'm gonna sit with that in my life there's something here for me in that of just letting it be letting people make whatever judgments they want to make and you know i used to think oh if, if someone catches a mistake they they'll think that i'm not professional or i don't know what i'm doing or i don't i don't value you know whatever the word is i don't even know right now but so afraid of judgments yeah and so now when I make a typo in a post or a typo in an email or whatever. It doesn't bother me. I'm like, oh, well, mm -hmm. if they want to judge me for that, if they think I'm not professional enough, that's okay. And again, these things sound minor, but they were a big deal for me. Yeah, they don't sound minor. Uh, and I think they're <laughs> really relatable. And I think so many people experience this it's a symptom of needing to express all of our value right off the top because we're afraid we're not valuable you know yeah for sure yeah. yeah and boy what a lovely again juxtaposition of you and i i'm like let's just go out and do the thing immediately in public first time let's go and that's it's in my human design i've been so relieved to discover this it's like i'm just supposed to show up and go mm -hmm. so that and that's a wonderful uh part of our relationship i think because it, it does behoove me to slow down and you remind me of that really well and things could be and look better um mm -hmm. i'll put out a thing i'll be like this is fine and you're like hmm this is good. And what if, what if there was this and that? And it's like, oh, it's so much better with the this and that and, you know, back and forth. And then we come to this wonderful balance. Yeah. This is what's been great for me is to learn how to not be paralyzed by fear, just go out and do the thing. Yeah. You're a real teacher for me in that way. I was, we were joking about like, you just slap the spaghetti on the wall, see if it sticks. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> and I, you know, who I was, was someone who was like deeply methodical and thought out and considered all the aspects because what you said earlier here, it was a phrase that really hit me. You said something about wanting to show our value right off the bat. That hit me when you said that, because that was my life. I was like, I only have one moment to make my impression. And if there's any piece of the goodness in me that I can't show people right in this moment, they might not like me. They might not think I'm good enough, you know? And I think that came a little bit from my dad. My dad, uh, he was a hard man to argue with. Like I joke now and he would laugh too and admit it. I could have argued that, you know, this is a funny example to use. The earth was flat or the earth was round. And he'd be like, no, no, it's flat. Like it, just things that I don't think you could possibly argue. 
he, he will have an argument for me and <laughs> he would pick apart my arguments and look for that tiny piece that didn't make sense, that tiny piece that was missing. And so I learned to never leave a piece unturned, never leave a piece unspoken. And that's a tough way to live. It's so tough. I have the exact same experience. And I remember a few years ago, my mom said just in this super casual way, and it was like earth shattering. She's like, oh, I just like to play devil's advocate. I think it makes for interesting conversation. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> I've been advocating with the devil this whole time. I thought I was just trying to make you proud or whatever. And you know, it's always the, the picking and the argument. And that's also contributed to our abilities in so many ways. It's such a, uh, such a combination of feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I want to put in, I don't want to, well, put in a little note here. Hmm. You're going to hear us talk a lot about our childhoods growing up, our parents, and this is not about blaming our parents. This is just about acknowledging our experience. And it's about bringing compassion to all the sides, all the people involved, because people did their best with what they knew. Yeah. And also sometimes someone's best was painful, right? For not just me, but for them. And it has an impact and it in influences what I believe about myself and what I believe about the world and what I believe about people. So I think it's important that we make that really clear that we're not here parent bashing. I mean, I'm a parent. Gosh, I know how hard it is. Yeah. It, we're just talking about what happened and the impact and what we would intentionally like to do differently. Yeah, for sure. Part of this ownership work is recognizing what situation is real for us and then just acknowledging that we find ourselves in those circumstances. Nobody's put us there. It's a really rare thing for anyone to be forcing people to do things. Um, how do I want to explain what I mean here? Just a minute. I think there's a big culture of finger pointing that's going on currently, maybe more so currently and of blame and of saying people, parents, family systems, institutions, whatever have done something to me that has caused me to be the way I am. And I, I think it's very important in personal growth work, at least for my mental framework, of just recognizing this is the situation I find myself in. Mm -hmm. No one's done it to me. Um, and there's going to be circumstances where people are victims of crimes. And that, that's not what I'm referring to here. We might not be responsible for where we find ourselves, but we are responsible once we've found ourselves to whatever extent. So yeah, when we're talking about parents and circumstances. We're recognizing that they're human beings who are members of our dynamic. And yeah. yeah, mutual conditioning. It goes both ways. We're constantly being conditioned by our surroundings 
and blame just almost doesn't make sense to me anymore. You know, it used to be my lifestyle. <laughs> the only way my mind <laughs> it used worked. to be my lifestyle. Talk about look, that's a great way to to segue to who were you, Stephanie? <laughs> Who was I? Gosh. Used to be my life. Blame. It used to be my lifestyle. <laughs> I feel like it should be a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Blame is my lifestyle. I mean, it was. I just saw problems everywhere. Um, I was unhappy and didn't necessarily know that. So I projected it outwards onto everything and everyone that I saw. I think who I was, I mean, the most succinct way I can fill in this sentence of who I was, who I am, and who I'm becoming is I was not myself, and I am increasingly myself, and I'm becoming myself. So all the ways that I was not me manifested in feelings, you know, like I, I used to think about things in terms of tangibles, and now I think of things way more in terms of feelings. So I used to be, you know, I'd name who I dated, what my job was, all those things of I'm a child or a lover or whatever names for things. And now I think of it more in terms of happiness and peace and calm and having time and energy. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, you know, hearing you say that who you are sounds like a richer human being, you know, like more dimensional, more multidimensional than I'm my mother's daughter. I'm a, you know, real estate agent. I'm a so-and-so's partner. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I've got so many dimensions that it's hard to describe and hard to live in. And it's no wonder I tried to shrink that down. I mean, I'm cosmic stardust. How do you explain that to people? That sounds a little wacky, you know? <laughs> but it's true, fundamentally true. What does that mean to people, you know? Depending on your interests and your language and the things you like to watch on television, those words will mean all kinds of different things to you. Yeah, if you would have walked up to me years ago and said, I'm cosmic stardust, I'd be like, this woman is nuts. Yeah. Get me away from her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would have thought the same thing. And, and, you know, I still would think the same thing. And I'm pursuing a doctorate in metaphysics. So I have a really different notion of what this means to be stardust. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, I'm stardust. Who are you? <laughs> Trick question. You're also stardust. I know. I can't wrap my head around that <laughs> quite yet. However, I'm open to being open and curious. <laughs> That's who I am around that. Beautiful. This is actually interesting when you ask me who I am. I'm Georgiana. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to feel pride in my name. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting because uh, we meet a lot of people through workshops and you know, we meet a lot of women and we always have an introduction round and it's always interesting when 
we're trying to ask a woman, how would you like to be called like by your name? Because sometimes names are, you know, challenging to pronounce or sometimes there's shortened versions. And I listen to how a person introduces themselves and I can hear a tone sometimes that they're, they're like, well, sure. You can call me that. Mm-hmm. And I lived like that. That's who I was. Who I was was someone that was like, call me whatever you want. I'll respond. Because my name was like not simple for people. And people would butcher it all the time. And so eventually I was like, yeah, just call me George. Call me G. Call me whatever you want. Whatever would make life easier for you. Right? And that was sort of, I think, symbolic for how I lived life, who I was, is just, let's just make life easy for other people. Who cares how I feel or what I want or what feels good for me? And over time, I realized, no, I'm Georgiana. That's my name. I've learned to see the beauty in it. And it's okay if it takes people time to learn it. And... I deserve people putting in a bit of effort to learn my name, Mm. which I always thought, oh, I'm just a bother. I'm too much, right? Don't, don't waste your time. Like, it's fine. Just call me whatever's easy for you. And this was a really important thing for me to do, to reclaim my name, reclaim what I actually wanted to be called. And so when I see this happen now with people, I like to pause and I like to ask them, what actually, what feels good for you? How would you like us to address you? And I want you just to pause with that and just sit with that for a moment. Mm -hmm. And then like every time they'll be like, well, actually, this is what I want to be called. Mm -hmm. Okay, then. (laughs) Great. And I love that moment because I think that moment is symbolic of so much more than just what we're going to call you in a two hour workshop. It's a moment of real pause and presence and ownership. Right. So when you say, who am I? That's one part of who I am today. Someone who's proud of her name. Mm. That feels true. I think that's what matters is what feels true. Yeah. Right. The actual name. You know, maybe you want to be called Sally. (laughs) Your face says no. But it's what feels true for you and what feels true for you right now in your life Mm. and what feels true for you with different people, right? There's different people in my life who call me different things and different names and they feel like they fit. They feel like that's what I want. That's, that's how I want to be known by you. Mm. And that's very different than Oh, whatever, whatever is easy for you, right? That's the thing I'm talking about is that energy, that belief of life should be about whatever is easy for other people. That's got that same frantic cloying energy that we were talking about earlier, the venting energy, that frantic doing whatever is good for other people, dismissal of self. It's all got that energy that is the opposite of, slow presence. Hearing you say slow presence, definitely who I was in the past is someone who would have been like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) 
Ditto. You're wasting my time. I value efficiency and effectiveness. Let's get it going. I'm listening to this podcast on double time. (laughs) And I still do that sometimes. Uh, I think I would have in the past because I valued efficiency so much. Again, another thing I learned through childhood. (laughs) And it's funny because there was, you know, some time ago I was working on a project and I wanted to have listened to this recording before I really dug into the project. And, but I didn't have that much time. I didn't have the time to listen to it on regular speed. Mm. So I was like, well, technology can do this thing for me now where I can do one and a half speed, double speed. And so I'm like, let's just try it out. And it just made my heart palpitate. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, there's no part of this that feels good. (laughs) I am going to listen to it at regular speed. And if I don't finish and I don't have all that information I would have liked to have had, I will be okay. And the project will still be great. And whereas who I was, was someone who was like, at all costs, just do the thing, get it done, white knuckle your way through, gather every piece of information, because how could something be good and complete if you don't have every detail you need? Right. And even as I describe who I was right now, I feel it. I'm like, oh. Yeah, it comes That's up. That's not a nice way to live. I yeah. don't want to live like that anymore. It doesn't feel good. And so body. what was all of that efficiency? What was that efficiency in service of? Love. Because my dad is very pragmatic. And he really valued efficiency and effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be seen through a good lens through my dad because I grew up watching him. I'm trying to say this in a way that's true for me, but also respectful and honoring my parents. I didn't watch him speak kindly and highly of my mother. I know there's love there, but it wasn't shown through his words. And I listened to him my whole life growing up, judge her about everything, the smallest things and the biggest things. And I think I knew very young, like I need to find a way to be one different than my mom, because if I'm like her, he's probably going to feel the same way about me and judge me the same way. And I would look for the windows of opportunity. Like, what does my dad value? What does he complain about, about my mom? How can I be the opposite of that so that I can be better and he will love me? And one of the things I caught on to was he valued efficiency and effectiveness. So who I was, was also in, this is like just even a couple years ago, I noticed myself one day washing the dishes frantically like I was by myself there was no rush like no no one needed the dishes but I'd just be like washing them scrubbing them (laughs) notice and I was like what am I doing and what I realized is it's so programmed in my body in my cells like body muscle memory that things have to be done fast yeah right and (laughs) 
<laughs> I made contests with myself. I'm like, if I can do this in under 40 seconds, then you're like, why? What's doing? So at that time, who I wanted to become was someone who was comfortable with a more peaceful and slower pace. So the task I gave myself, the practice I gave myself was, can I slow this down? Just that's all I'm practicing right now. Move the scrubber more slowly. Like I had to be really pragmatic and simple. Just practice that and see that nobody dies. Right. And then over time, my next practice was how can I find pleasure in this moment of washing dishes? Like how can there be some sense of fun or joy or pleasure in this mundane task? And so that's what I practiced. And now my body appreciates and enjoys that feeling of things are chill. There's some joy in this moment and I'm not frantically doing all the things. It takes a lot of practice, hey, to get that embodied feeling of calm, to be able to recognize when it is not present. Yes, and to not be afraid of it and not feel so uncomfortable because of it. Yeah, yeah. I walked around for decades being like, I'm not stressed. I don't know what you're talking about. Until, you know, we talk about conscious relationship training as one of the big life changers for me. Also, my yoga teacher training with um, Yoga Charini Maitrey. I learned in that program how to actually be in my body. How to, that's where I learned exactly what you just talked about right now. I learned what rest and peace and quiet felt like. In small little itty bitty pieces, because anything bigger was just too uncomfortable for me at the time. And I was like, this, this is what you can feel. Like, this is how people can feel. Like, this is what it means to not be stressed. I didn't know any different. I thought that was normal to walk around feeling that energy of stress and franticness and so as I became more comfortable with, I can just be here for this moment. I can feel my butt on the floor. I can notice my breath. I can see the stuffed panda in front of my face. Um, I grew to find safety and comfort in stillness and slowness. And slowly, like, those became bigger and bigger right? The big sort of buzzword right now is nervous system regulation. So that moment where I can feel my butt on the chair and I can notice my breath and I can see Mr. Panda here is a moment of regulation, a moment where I can just be with myself and what's present. And when I walk clients through this, they're like, oh, I can do a moment. I was like, great. If you can do a moment, what happens is once you string together more and more regulated moments, you now have a regulated state. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, what you've trained your body to do, you rewired it to learn that I can actually feel safe when I'm here and present. And then your whole world changes. Sure does. Wow. So, yeah. I learned to wash the dishes slowly with a little shake of my bum because that makes me smile. Bring it in a little dancey fun. I love yeah. that. 
I remember you walking me through some exercises a few years ago that made me realize how much time I was spending self-regulating all the time and thought I was just being lazy. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. After the first initial bouts of really deep inner work and personal discovery, you know, you're finding some things in there that are often hard to face. And I think I spent three years just crying basically and sitting in a room and staring at walls and crying is what I, I'm sure that's not what was really happening, but a lot of that was, was happening. And you walked me through this exercise and pointed out that all of these things I've just been looking at quietly and calmly has just been unloading years of really heightened anxiety and pressure in my body. Mm-hmm. And being alone and quiet before would have been a very unpleasant place to be. And it just is not now. Yeah. Life forever changes once we know how to, we know how to be active and engaged and doing the things that need to get done that excite us, that move us towards our dreams. We also know how to be in the rest and the slowness and the contemplation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think there's a lot of overstimulation that's going on in the world right now. And I think there are a lot of people sort of receding because they don't know how to cope with all of this stuff going on in their bodies and their minds and so much energy around, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because who I was at some point, you know, my oldest kid, we realized he was highly sensitive when he was quite young and like, I didn't know what that meant, but I was determined to understand it. And he would say, it's too loud. The the lights are too bright. He'd smell things from like a mile away. And then as I was understanding him more, I was understanding myself more. I was like, oh, like loud noises are really hard for me too. Like lots of people around is really hard for me too. I didn't realize that I have a different sensory processing experience than the average person. Mm-hmm. And... I just thought when I realized that I was like, okay, that's great. Now I know this about myself. That's helpful. The thing that wasn't so helpful was I thought I was doomed. I was like, oh, now I'm a highly sensitive person and I can't handle loud noises and I can't handle lots of people around. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Maybe I should just hermit then. And slowly I practice with these tools to sort of, like I said, change the channel instead of just listening to noise. Then I look at what's out the window and I feel my squeezing of my hands. And all of a sudden that noise sensory input isn't as overwhelming for my system. And I was blown away. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm a highly sensitive person. Like I'm not supposed to be able to be in this kind of environment and feel okay. And I was mm-hmm. because I had practiced and grown these muscles that allowed me to um, just experience things in the moment differently. Yeah. Right. So there was a lot of, it was really helpful on the one side to recognize that I process sensory stuff a bit differently than maybe the average person and to have compassion for myself and there's nothing wrong with me. It's also part of what my superpowers are. 
And also like, I'm not boxed in and labeled to some really awful existence because I process sensory stuff differently. Mm. And what can help me, what can help me be with that so that I don't have to be really rigid and extreme about how I go about life. Yeah. That's good. I was reminded of you and your kiddos and myself when I was in England recently at a busy, loud museum and in the washrooms was even louder with all the dryers going into, you know, tiles and everything. And there was this little girl just having a fit. And I think to most people, they would have just thought she was having a fit, but she also had her hands over her ears. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was just like, oh, this poor girl is really overwhelmed with stimulus right now. Mm -hmm. And I was so glad that I had my noise canceling headphones, which have like changed my life. I didn't realize how much stimulation I was taking in and just holding really tightly. Yeah, it's huge, right? And it's when we don't understand sensory processing, when we don't understand the nervous system and how it gets overstimulated and activated, it's easy just to look at people's outward behavior and make tons of judgments about it, Yeah, right? I'm sure there's many people like you were able to see beyond the, you know, her freak out and see how oh, she's a girl having a hard time. She's feeling overwhelmed. But a lot of people would be like, what the F is wrong with her? What's wrong with the mom? Why didn't she shut up? You know, what's the problem? Yeah. And that makes my heart feel so sad because I think so many people are judged and misunderstood for what's actually happening with them in that moment. Yeah. And sometimes they don't even understand themselves. So they, they can't advocate for themselves. They can't, you know, help people understand. It makes me really crumblingly sad as well. But then another part of me feels so hopeful and excited because this is all brand new. Like we're on the cutting edge of this, having feelings, having time to have feelings, mm -hmm. understanding nervous systems, giving credence to all these notification systems that we've got built into our bodies that we've ignored that science has not yet found and are finding now. Um, and I think that's another thing that we do as a society is look back on the way things have been and kind of shake our fist. And that's natural to do, but I think it's a displacement of sadness. You know, the sadness yeah, we're talking sad. about, we're sad. We didn't have the knowledge in the past and we're developing mm -hmm. the knowledge now. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I get really excited seeing people feel more comfortable with themselves. Mm -hmm. um, people letting each other have their feelings. That excites me. Yesterday I was in the grocery store and I was in this aisle and there was a kid on some other aisle. I couldn't see them freaking out, like screaming, yelling, crying. And I heard the mom say in the sweetest voice, oh, do you need to take a moment to say goodbye to this thing? You can <laughs> say goodbye. You can say goodbye, right? Do you want to hold it for another minute? You can say goodbye and then we'll put it back on the shelf and then we'll see it again next time, right? 
and she just gave him his time. And then they actually ended up, um, without me knowing the dad was in front of me in the grocery lineup and, uh, the mom came up to meet him and she was pushing the stroller with a, a kid inside and a younger baby in the stroller as well. And she told the dad, she's like, Oh, he just needed a moment. He just wanted to say goodbye. And then it was all good. And, you know, we talked about how we'd see it again next time. And this kid was super calm in the stroller, like content as can be. And I was just smiling on the outside and on the inside. Like I was just bursting because that made me feel so happy, so hopeful that times are changing. Right. And I couldn't help myself, but to say to her, I said, I heard all that happen. I heard how you handled it. That was so beautiful. That made me feel so happy that you gave him just a chance to do what he needed to do. And she was like, Oh, thanks. You know, she's like, I try to think about it as if I'm really deeply engaged in something and someone just yanks me away with no warning to something that I don't care about. Like, how would I feel? Right. And in that moment, I felt real hope because this is something I've been saying to parents that I've been working with for the last, you know, 16 years of like, how would that feel for you? How would that feel for us if someone did that to us? Yeah. Right. And then parents are like, oh, yeah, that yeah. would really suck. I'd be pissed. Right. Yeah. And for this woman just in the grocery store to say that same thing to me, I was like, oh, times are changing. Thank you. They are. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, this is what all the modern efficiency ought to be in service of, having time and energy to give our loved ones the moment they need. Mm -hmm. you know? We're so right? frantic all yeah. the time. But none of us are, like I'm thinking of washer women whose husbands are going off to coal mines and they've got 17 kids and they live in a shanty and they have to pick all their own vegetables and wash everything by hand and like cloth diapers, like the amount of time that you didn't have mm -hmm. dragging a kid away without them being able to say goodbye to whatever it was, a can of peas. I don't know. <laughs> that made sense. You know, yeah, and it, it for no sure. longer makes sense. The more we pay attention to all the efficiencies built in and the more we make those in service to a life, we actually want to live and relationships we want to have the more of that beautiful stuff you're going to see. Yeah, it, it's so beautiful to see. And saying that it's so beautiful doesn't mean that there's judgment when that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. It's, I understand when it doesn't happen. I understand why a parent either doesn't have the resources in them in that moment to be that regulated and to see it from their kid's point of view. I understand that, you know, sometimes we've got our own stuff going on. I understand that mainstream you know, parenting information hasn't really given us this other way of looking at things until I feel like more recently. So it's not a judging and blaming when we don't do it that way. It's just a hopefulness oh, yeah, and an excitement that is changing, right? Yeah. And that more parents have access to the information that helps us see it through a different lens, mm -hmm. see what else is possible. So much is possible and people are changing so very much. The way we do things is changing so much. 
we're all taking steps in that direction, no matter what our behavior is in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we're almost in an hour, but I feel yeah. like it would be neat. I think that people relate humans. We often relate on more tangible levels, possibly more right. superficial levels. Like when someone says, what are you? What do you do? We usually respond mm -hmm. with whatever relationship status, work, employment, um, <laughs> things like that. Uh, we rarely talk about, you know, our souls and our uh, passions and confusions. So I wonder if people would like to hear kind of the things we've been, the people <laughs> we've been, what we've done. All right. I what feel like kind it's of game show time? Yeah, yeah, game show. Um, what have your jobs been in your life? What have my jobs been? And start like from when you were one. <laughs> my job was to not cry oh. so that I wouldn't stress out my parents. I think oh. that's what my job was. That sounds unpaid. It was very much unpaid. <laughs> I also had no supporting staff. <laughs> um, so yeah, my job, really the job that I remember most having as a child was mediator mm. between my parents. I was incredibly skilled at it and took on a role and was given a role that a child is not meant to take on. So that for sure, we'll have an episode about that. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, what's great about that is I guess I got to hone a lot of skills that helped me today get to support people and help people. So that was first job. Um, but are we now talking about like jobs we got paid for? Okay. So did you babysit as a kid? I don't think I, I babysat for yeah. sure. I babysat yeah. and I think I was probably 12 mm -hmm. and my oldest is 12 now. And the idea of like, Oh, wow. that freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> Nothing, you know, negative about my child, but I'm like, wow, wow. 12. It's okay. amazing how grown up you always feel, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. Because yeah. to me, he's like my baby. Is he going to really babysit a two-year-old? <laughs> okay. Um, definitely babysitter. Then I worked, my cousin had his own business. So I helped him in the office, data entry, filing stuff. And my favorite part of that job was I loved stationary. So he would get to go to these conventions where all they did was give out stationary, like the best and the coolest post-its of the eighties and highlighters. And you know, maybe it was nineties. I don't know. Yeah. Nineties maybe, <laughs> but I loved that. I, I didn't particularly love the filing, but I loved the perks, you know, cool pens and things like that. Then I, um, worked, I think at the mall mm. at this craft store, I knew nothing about crafts. <laughs> People would come in and ask me things and I would have no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> and like, this is me. Okay. Listen, like we, we talked earlier on the episode about how I like, don't like to not know things. Oh, I of perfect. Right. So here I'm like, crap. 
You know, like I have no idea what these people are talking about. <laughs> Talk to them about stationery. So, so what I was very good at was, and this still serves me to this day professionally, is I'm very good at seeing people's strengths and mm -hmm. helping people utilize their strengths. So what I saw were my colleagues who were older than me and much more experienced. They knew tons of stuff about crafts. What they weren't so skilled at yet was how to use the debit machine and the credit card machine because that was newish at the time. Mm. And I understood that. Like I was like the queen of the machine. And <laughs> so I'd just be like, hey, 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 Vera, like how about um, I, I take over the till? And there's this lady over here. I think she has a question. <laughs> so that was brilliant. brilliant. We all We all worked to our strengths and everyone was happy. And people right. left with what they were actually looking for. Mm. Um, I remember someone saying like, I'm looking for a cross stitch such and such. And I like, really, I just wanted to say, what is cross stitch? I have no idea. What you're <laughs> anyway, so there was that. I also worked as like a receptionist. I don't know if you call it that at uh, Big O Tires. Oh, yeah. Yes. And to pair it again with who I was, I was someone who was terrified of using my voice. Like I just learned in, in, in my home and childhood, like you're not meant to speak and be heard. And one part of my job was to speak in this microphone that would get broadcast into the whole building and all the, you know, tire bays outside to say, oh, such and such is on the phone or so-and-so needs to come here. And I hated it. Oh. And so what I would do is I would just walk and find the people who I needed to find. I'd be like, oh, I thought on the phone for you. And they'd always be like, you know, we have this microphone system. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I just, you know, I like to walk around. <laughs> so there was that too. Yeah. And then I also worked as like, I don't know if it's a receptionist at a physio clinic. Um. Not too many wild stories to tell about that, except I could really tell I was not putting my skills to use, but it was a job that sort of paid the bills while I was in university. Um, and then after that, I had a, I had a summertime job being a data entry clerk at the stock exchange. Oh God, that's horrible. <laughs> I loved it. Did I loved you? it. Yes, because as a child, do you remember that Fisher Price cash register? Yes, I would have liked that. I, I didn't have to play it. with the Fisher Price. I always wanted it. I didn't have it. And as a little girl, I thought, <laughs> when I grow up, I really want to work at the grocery store as a at the cash register. I wanted to beg. Remember, we had this <laughs> conversation. I wanted to be the bag lady. We would have been just perfect. <laughs> We reunite in adulthood. <laughs> so, so I had this thing about pushing buttons. Like I like the sound of it. I like the feel of it. I think it's yeah. a sensory thing. And so I loved data entry. Great. <laughs> I loved that job so much and I was so good at it. <laughs> and um, anyways, um, my next sort of significant job would have been, I was a tax consultant. Yeah. U.S individual income tax. I'm trying to think of what I did. 
U.S. and Canadian cross-border income tax. It's as dull as your expression looks right now. I was good at it. I was good at it because of work ethic. And that's also who I was. Who I was was someone who didn't care whether I loved it, whether it brought out my skills and strengths and talents. I was someone who would just white knuckle my way through things because now it's a job that I have. You know, I've got to do a good job. And for another time, another episode, I think it would be fun to talk about shifting out of that career and the whys and the fears yes. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yes, there was a time in my life when it was my job to read the tax treaty. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to do it. Thank you for your service. Yes. And then at some point, after a lot of soul searching, a lot of tears, I took a huge leap of faith and quit a very well-paying job and went back to school and went back to school while I was living in the Netherlands and studied in Dutch and got my degree in Dutch and started counseling families and people in Dutch. And then so I came cool. back here and now I get to do it in English, which is much easier. <laughs> <laughs> However, I will say, and we spoke to this a little bit in the last episode, at the core, we're so similar, you know, people. Because I was in the Netherlands, I didn't fully understand the nuances of their culture. My language wasn't perfect, my, my Dutch. And yet, we would find a way to connect and people would feel like me being in their presence was supporting them and their family. And I remember working with um, old um, Turkish grandmothers and grandfathers and their Dutch was broken. My Dutch was broken. We draw things, we'd use our hands and like, it would just work, you know? So that was really beautiful too, to be reminded of our common shared humanity. Yeah. That we all, you know, we want peace. We want to feel good. We want to feel connected to the people who matter to us. We all have pain and we all have joy. So, and, and then now I get to do what I love, you know, I think there's a job in between I skipped, which is, I was a parent support counselor mm -hmm. for 16, 17 years for a nonprofit, nonprofit in the Netherlands and also nonprofit here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And then more recently doing my own thing, mm -hmm. counseling, coaching, facilitating women's groups, facilitating co-ed groups, just helping people be more of who they actually are, yeah. right? Helping people um, come to acceptance with compassion of who they were, who they have been, and to understand why they were wired that way, to help them discover like who you, who someone is now, and then not just discover, but embrace, and then to help people open up to what's possible for them and where they still want to go, right? Who they want to become. And this question that's sort of been at the root of this episode, it means so much to me because it's so symbolic of honoring all of who you are. We all have a past, we're here now, and we all have opportunity in the future, right? And it's learning that all of that belongs. And that we don't have to be stuck in one, stuck in the past, or we don't have to be stuck daydreaming about the future. 
or scared about the future. And we can learn how to be with all of the parts of us and our experience. And um, I just feel like it's a real gift to honor all those three parts. It sure is. Yeah. It's incredible how much work and convincing it takes for us to just be ourselves. Because a lot of us learn that it wasn't safe to be ourselves, yeah. right? We wouldn't be accepted. There might actually be physical or emotional pain if we had the courage to be ourselves, yeah. right? So learning to be ourselves, giving ourselves permission to be who we truly are and to discover who we are, because I think first to be who we truly are, we have to give ourselves room to discover who that might be, right? Without all these constraints and other people's beliefs and fear of punishment, fear, fear of not belonging. But I feel like that's the biggest, it's like saying no more, no more will I live, you know, shackled by fear, shackled by fear of punishment, fear of not belonging. Yeah. I'm going to give myself permission to live differently. To be all the ways. And that's one of the things that I love so much about the groups that we've been in and run. It's all of the different examples of ways that you can be. Mm. And it feels so good to me to discover other ways that I could be, other ways that might feel better to me. Um, yeah. I remember you talking once about um, someone who was in your life. Maybe it was an ex of a partner mm. or something. And, and they had some way about them that you found for some reason annoying or, or whatever. And you had spoken with our teacher Phil about it and his question to you was what did they get that you don't oh, get yeah it was um it was actually a participant in the group ah yeah, yeah. and like sh something about her riled me up so much and I'm generally not like that with people like I don't have that kind of visceral reaction to that many people but when I do I really do and yeah. I notice it yeah yeah that's a great question to ask. What does this person get? Think of it, you know, and so it's, okay, babies being cute and not being abandoned because they're cute is part of the deal. But also, what a great example babies having fits are. What a great example they are of how much people who love you will accept what you're doing. <laughs> or they don't even need to love you. We just are generally pretty accepting of each other's behavior. We might bitch about it. But all that is to say that you could actually behave as yourself instead of all the ways that you feel you've got to behave to be accepted and yeah. discover that you're loved. That was mind blowing for me. That question, I think it deserves to be repeated. He said, what does she get to do? Or what does she get that you don't? And I was like, mm. Thank you for the question, and I don't like you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, she gets to be all these things you've worked so hard to be, so efficient yeah. and perfect. She doesn't have to be any of those things. She, she, exactly. Like, she, she sort of, and she self-proclaimed, like, I remember her saying this to the group, right? She's like, yeah, like, um, I, she was a little bit ditzy, you know, a little bit like not always really present. Um, and these were my judgments and perceptions of her. 
and she was sort of like this victim me, you know, like, well, I don't know what to do kind of, you know, that was where she was comfortable. And like, it just aggravated me so much. And also it made so much sense because there was no room for me to be ditzy, to like not be on top of my game, to not be like the one who could be independent and resilient. Like that's what I was conditioned to be for survival, right? So to see someone being the opposite of those things and she still loved and accepted by the group, I was like, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) And she was a great teacher for me. Um, And I made that sort of declaration to myself of I'm going to practice allowing myself to embody these traits that I see in her or that I perceive that I see in her Mm -hmm. because it's going to allow me to be a richer, fuller person. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. So good. I remember when I let myself stop keeping track of everything or like when I realized that, oh, I keep track of like literally everything and maybe that's not the best use of my energy. What a, what a gift to just let ourselves be whatever it is that we've thought we haven't been allowed to be this whole time. Right. So I can't help but want to ask, keep track of what? When I say everything, I mean everything. I mean, obviously, there are occasional things where I would forget things, but I know where things are. I know where they've been put. I know where they were before. I know who said what. I know. Okay. I'm just paying far too much attention. Or or like, I think I'm designed to just absorb information. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly, it was a diffused focus, you know, and uh, that's overwhelming. So what was that in service for? in service of i think well this actually the same as you said earlier it was in service of love you know mother mm-hmm. has questions and if you don't know the answer it might appear mm-hmm. that love goes away you know right. i don't think it did but that was certainly my interpretation right yeah and also um it was in service in a different way of love of that if i do everything then i won't put anybody out and they don't need to keep track of anything. And also if they screw up by not keeping track of something that I needed to be kept track of, then I won't need to hate them. <laughs> like <that's laughs> really extreme that's stuff. generous, in kind intention. <laughs> yeah. Right? right? Yeah. So, yeah. I wonder why my kindness and constant overgiving didn't take. <laughs> and so... When you began to realize that you were keeping track of everything, what did you notice? What's the impact on your life and your relationships? There's an ease that didn't exist before that's there now. Mm. Um, I can't remember what it was, but the first time somebody asked me, where's the thing? And I didn't know it was like a really liberating feeling. It's like, oh, I have no idea. (laughs) someone else can deal with that you know that's uh, it's a real gift someone else can can do this I feel so much less pressure right yeah and who doesn't want to live with so much less pressure yeah this reminds me of like the power of these questions who I was who I am who I'm becoming because there's so many ways to use these three questions to explore and discover about ourselves 
right? Because it can be in the realm of like who I was, like what did I believe about myself, about the world, about people, about every facet of our lives, sex, love, relationships, money, right? And then it can be uh, who was I in terms of my patterns, my coping Mm. patterns, my patterns that kept me feeling comfortable. What are the ways I behaved? And then it can also be an exploration of who I was in terms of skill set. Like, what did I have the skills for? What did I not have the skills for yet? Which then helps me see, like, what are areas of practice if I so choose? Mm -hmm. Right. So there's so many ways to use this question, these questions to get to know ourselves better. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I can feel my energy petering out. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling um, content. There's a contentment, a warm contentment in my body. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. I feel like I want to share my past jobs and things, but maybe another time. And it feels like a good time to uh, give a prompt that people can think about today or over the next week? I mean, I think the most obvious prompt to work with are these series of questions. Mm -hmm. Who I was, who I am, and who I am becoming. And I like to work with these questions, like who I was It could be, like you said, as a baby, as a toddler, as a five-year-old. I also like to do it as who I was six months ago, who I was a year ago, who I was five years ago. And I think it's actually a really important practice Mm -hmm. to do that because it really honors our whole journey. And it really helps us see our growth and acknowledge that you know, maybe we've experienced hardships and maybe we've accomplished great things that are meaningful to us personally. And so easily we forget to acknowledge those things. Yeah. Right. So I think it's really important. And we're sort of, I guess by the time this is out in the world, it will be 2023. But as we're recording, it's 2022. It's a great time at the end of the year or beginning of the year to reflect right on Mm -hmm. who I was, who I am and who I am becoming. Yeah. I really like this. This is a thing we do regularly in our ongoing groups is looking back on the last six months. I think it's so important to give ourselves a lot of grace and celebration about all the baby steps that we've taken. Cause we, I think we, we use the term baby steps in this really celebratory way. Um, But I think people can really be dismissive of the way that they've come. You know, they've taken baby steps instead of giant leaps or Mm -hmm. they should have figured this out by now, or how are they still, you know, sad about the thing that happened two years ago? They feel like they've been talking about it forever. You probably all just want me to shut up about this thing I've been talking about. But to look at the growth and the little steps and the releases of energy and the shifts that you make over six months, a year, even a shorter time frame can be really impactful. Yeah, we celebrate baby steps here. 
And you're going to hear us talk more and more about baby steps. Yeah. I'm sure of it. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. Can we do a body exercise? Yeah. Another tool to take away? Let's do a body. Um, I like just to follow impulse. So I'm just t- taking my right hand, take either hand and just place it on the opposite shoulder. And just notice how that feels, feeling the weight of your hand and your arm on your shoulder. Notice what it does for your breath. Maybe it does something to change it. Maybe it stays the same. And then I just like to just offer squeezes down the outside of my arm. And feel that pressure. So take your time, go at your own pace. And I like to go down one arm and meet in the middle and feel my hands, squeeze my hands. And then I go to the other side, right? But you can do what feels good for your body. Because that's another thing. This is not about doing something right, doing something how someone told you you should. It's just a seed. and You can do with it what you want. Mm-hmm. And again, notice how that feels. Maybe yeah. you think it feels great. Maybe it feels terrible. Maybe it feels sort of in between. And that's all good information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just noticing. Wonderful. Okay, anything else you want to say? See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, follow, subscribe. And if anything we've said here today has helped you, please share with somebody that you care about. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.